Welcome to Managing Marketing and today uh, I'm sitting down with Zena Churchill who is one of the senior consultants here at Trinity P3 and really um, someone with a deep interest and expertise in uh, marketing and marketing structures and process. Welcome Zena. Thanks Darren, thanks for having me. Well I say that because you've run marketing departments haven't you? You've had senior roles as a senior marketer. I have, I have and uh, I've had several uh, opportunities to run quite diverse and complex marketing teams across multiple industries and, and actually client side and agency side. So I, I think um, with the work that I do here at Trinity P3 it gives me quite a good well-rounded perspective of when we're dealing with clients what what needs to happen when we're talking about the structures. The world's changing, isn't it? I mean, you must have noticed in your career from, you know, let's not no, let's not name how many years ago, but from then till now, it's like this constant sense of change. It's unbelievable. And I think more so in the last maybe five years, the speed of change is, I think, catching a lot of people unawares, um, unprepared. And, and a little off guard in how they go about now preparing to move forward for the future. Now, I um, shared Keith Weed's uh, article in one of the magazines or online magazines, Trade Press, uh, where he said, you know, and marketers, it's just the change is just going to get faster. And I had a couple of people comment, oh, nothing's really changed. The same principles apply. And... That's not what he was talking about. Keith Weed, who's the CMO at Unilever, was talking about the change of application. Because would you agree the principles of marketing are, are roughly the same? It's just the way we do it. Absolutely. Um, the principles of marketing are the same. I think, unfortunately, the perception of marketing in the business is not changing as quickly as it probably should. Um, but while the principles are the same, um, the way we have to market and the way we uh, have to skill our teams to market has changed. Mm. So yeah, principles completely the same, really. Um, you just, the application is very much different and the skills needed for that application are very much different today. There's also a lot more interdependency, isn't it? Marketing doesn't exist in a vacuum or a bubble anymore, does no, it? No, it doesn't. And I mean, the, the a couple of the previous roles I've had where we were, you know, and yes, let's not m mention my age, but we're at the cusp of digital marketing becoming a real force, um, you know, in, in the marketing remit that we were still very much segregated with IT sits over there and do IT things and the digital person sits over there and does digital things and you only speak when you need to come together. I mean, that's not the case anymore. There, there needs to be that skill set in marketing to be able to effectively work across the business to, to deliver. Well, I think it's a recognition that the customer experience, which is really the most powerful thing to create brand in their mind, mm actually occurs everywhere in the, you know, the, the sort of business ecosystem. It doesn't just occur in marketing and advertising. Absolutely. And it, it reminds me actually of a, of a um, project that um, we've worked on recently, but uh, in a conversation with somebody in the marketing team where their 
KPI was the customer app to be able to deliver proper customer service quickly in the palm of the customer's hand. That was their remit. That was what they were being measured on. But nobody had told IT. (laughs) So when the app went down, this marketing person was facing hurdles and obstacles at every step of the way to get the app fixed as quickly as possible Mm. and back into being able to deliver on customer service. IT didn't care. It wasn't their remit. They didn't understand their importance in that customer journey role, but they are absolutely at the forefront of delivering. And and could I dare say that, you know, when the app doesn't work and the uh, customer gets on the phone and phones the call centre, the call centre didn't know that it was highly important. And so they stormed down to one of the retail outlets and the retail staff haven't been told that the app's important. That's exactly right. And so on and so on. Because a lot of CMOs, especially CMOs, say to me around 80% of their job is just talking to all of the stakeholders and trying to get alignment, which, you know, some of them uh, use the old herding cats analogy. But it's this complexity, isn't it, that's making marketing such a challenge. Absolutely. And and the last sort of corporate role I had, I would say absolutely 80% of my role was managing stakeholders to make sure Internally and externally. Internally and externally. But Mm. the internal, I felt, took more out of me than dealing with the external. And it it shouldn't be that way. We shouldn't have to start every meeting with explaining why each stakeholder is sitting at the table and why it's important that we get our things done. We should just know that we all need to come together. Uh, And and you don't get anything done effectively in that situation. That's that's, uh, really interesting. And I'm just wondering whether it's because externally, stakeholders are either suppliers where they're beholden to you for revenue and income, or they're buyers where the relationship is very clearly defined, whereas internally, it's like we're all equal, we're all the same, and so we're going to go off and do something completely different. Absolutely, I couldn't agree with you more, and I think the easiest way to say it is with external um, partners or suppliers or, or stakeholders, there is that power difference, so you can tell people what to do. Whereas internally, you have or to negotiate. Or do what they tell you to. Yeah, but internally, you have to negotiate. The whole time. All the time. Yeah. And, and that is draining and time-consuming. And it also takes your focus off what's really important, which is delivering your brand to the consumer in the best possible way mm. for the best possible outcome. Building those relationships so that people are more likely yeah. to choose your brand and your business over anyone else. Look, in this whole world of complexity, one of the biggest issues is lack of predictability, isn't it? I mean, there was a time when you'd do you know, some usage and uh, what were they called? UNA research and you'd... Absolutely. Uh, or you'd spend three months looking at what happened last year to try and think about what you need to do for the following year. Um, and you would predict. And, and that is just not the case now. You are planning and analyzing and assessing and trying to predict on the run now. Um, So all of that, we've written a five-year plan and it's taken us four months to write, doesn't really hold up anymore in this Five years, you'd be lucky, wouldn't you? You would be lucky. Can you imagine if you'd written a five-year plan five years ago that you were sticking to like glue 
how far behind you would now be. You, yeah. you, your competitors would have overtaken you. And I mean, we've seen examples of that in the work that we do here, where they're sticking rigidly to their, their outlook and their plans. And then they're standing there and asking us, why are we struggling with the competitors who we once used to be ahead of? And I, I think in the face of a lack of predictability, I mean, people are still spending a lot of time, money and effort trying to predict the future. You know, and we see these uh, futurists, you know, who are almost held up you know, in, in yeah. godlike awe. But in actual fact, you know, there has to be a different way because if there's no, if you can't predict the future, then you have to adapt to what the future brings as it reveals itself, don't you? Absolutely. And, you know, that's the, the, the test, iterate, test, iterate, press, repeat cycle yeah. that really needs to be what drives the planning process or the um, adaptability. The doing process. The adaptability process now, let's call it that. Um, yeah. You know, how adaptable can we be for the next six months and what does that look like? Um, and, and is that going to help us achieve Yes, maybe the long-term strategic goals that companies still have and should have. Yeah. Um, but, you know, how do we plan to adapt? Well, you know, people, it's a great word, adaptability, because people often mistake. Uh, Charles Darwin actually wrote survival of the fittest. <laughs> but the word fittest meant that which was best suited to the circumstances faced. So in yes. many ways, it was which one, which species was able to adapt to those circumstances because they had attributes that allowed that adaption. Yes. And I think that's true in business these Absolutely. days is those that are able to adapt are more flexible, have greater resilience, are able to uh, capitalise on the changes as they present themselves. Absolutely. And I think the mindset, too, of those who are adaptable but can also accept that what they've just tried didn't work, dust themselves off and keep going. That resilience of being able to regroup, become stronger and tackle the next iteration um, I think that's important because it, it, it quite often you sit in with, with clients and marketing teams who are too scared to try something in case it fails, mm. but you really need to try something to know if you need to adapt that approach um, to move forward. It, so you're really talking about embracing natural selection because by things dying um, you know, and, yeah. and dying uh, economically or, or whatever, uh, you're actually going to end up with a stronger offering. Absolutely, absolutely. And if you don't try it, you don't know. And there is nothing wrong with making mistakes in business. All the successful people will tell you that they've learned from the mistakes that they've made and that's what delivered them a better product, offering, brand mm. position. Exactly. But um, part of this is also uh, the way organisations have been structured because we still find most organisations are structured to do business the way business was done 100 years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Um, still very much clinging on to um, job titles and linear positions of power. Hierarchies. And hi yeah, hierarchies. Um, that's very much how uh, businesses are comfortable to operate. Um, even when they sit and talk to us about wanting to do things a different way, um, the minute uh, the experience I've had is you start talking about flattening or empowering or taking away silos, the hackles go up because mm -hmm. they perceive that to be 
stripping away their personal power as opposed to for the benefit of the masses within the organisation. So that, that, that has been, uh, that is definitely something that is still continuing, this traditional way of structuring in a hierarchical manner so everybody understands their place and everything is in their place. Well, it, it comes out of the idea of, you know, there's a predictable future. And so you were able to then create an organisational structure that would then allow control and efficiency mm. in delivering on the prediction. Yeah, and, it, and it's human nature for, for people to look, look towards a stronger leader to make the hard decisions. But the environment today in business um, doesn't allow for that. Everybody needs to be able to quickly make decisions and have confidence that the decision that they're making is going to deliver a benefit for the tribe, the brand, the masses, um, as opposed to just one person now who has worked their way up the vertical ladder um, and is deemed to be the, mo the most important person in the room. That, that, that thinking just doesn't hold mm. anymore in, in my opinion and, and from what I've certainly been seeing with the clients that we've been working with. Yeah, because uh, you know, we often see, especially marketing, is often uh, either centralised mm. and given its own silo in a way that you know, then has to work across the organisation or it gets fragmented yeah. into decentralised and fragmented across the silos. Yeah. And then suddenly you get all these bolt-on bits, like where does data live and yeah. where does you know, digital channels and all of that. Yeah, and so yeah. because this this very neat uh, siloed hierarchical structure suddenly has got dotted lines and things all over the place. Yeah. It, it really loses a lot of the efficiency, doesn't it? It does, and sometimes it just doesn't plain make sense. Um, they've tacked something on to, and it's a nice neat silo, but you then ask them, why did you put the social media team in corporate communications? And they look at you and go, I don't know. Uh, because um, oh, Seem natural. John Smith, who heads up the department, mm. um, is good on social media. Mm. Okay, and <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, the one the one that cracks me up is customer data because mm. you know it's so valuable having yeah. our customer data. Yet it's Why flux. would we want to let anyone touch <laughs> yeah. it? Well, because that's how they're going to actually you know give yeah. your customers a better experience yeah or when you ask who does customer data report to and they say that department over there okay well then how does this department over here access it yeah well they go <laughs> up the chain across yeah down back up across you know and then by the time you've broken down the three walls between each of those silos mm. it's no wonder people internally either lose the will to live or just start making up their own workarounds and then that's when we often see the fun um, beginning is that there's silos within silos um, or there's centralised decentralisation. So it then becomes a bigger mess. Yeah. Um, so do you think this is why there is so much conversation these days about being agile and agile marketing and agile processes? I do. Um, I think, you know, I've called it a buzzword in the past and, and I, I do think it is a little bit of a buzzword, but I think marketers are desperately looking for something to cling on to that's going to make this landscape easier for them to to deal with this rapidly changing environment that they're in um i mean the agility is great it, it obviously works in areas of in, innovation and creativity it's not necessarily for every department within a business um, but the thinking of what drives agile marketing or agility in business 
is is I think one of a great thing to, to to be happening now in the marketing landscape and for people to to be looking at adopting some of those behaviours into helping them work better uh, as a team. Well, that's if agility is seen as the access to being more flexible and resilient. Yeah. And being more adaptable to the marketplace, but. Yeah, you know, often it's just sold as a you know proprietary process almost. Absolutely, and it's 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 not um, a process per se, um, because agility needs to be reflected across the whole business from thinking, um, doing structure, um, and strategy. You need to have agility across all three areas really to be able to call yourself agile. Mm. Um, otherwise, you have a marketing department over here working in what they think is an agile manner <laughs> but the rest of the business is working in a command and control linear manner manner and and as soon as the agile digital marketing person is buzzing around the IT department trying to get things done super quick and in and, and they don't work that way that's where the problems exacerbate really mm. and conflict internally becomes a problem. Well, one of the pro- yeah, it is a problem because where you've got a very rigid, siloed, hierarchical structure and you're trying to make agility work within a silo, it really doesn't allow for adaptability, does it, as an organisation? Yeah. It, 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 just, it just can't work. Um, I've seen a recent example of a, a team telling me hand on heart that they work agile um, and they were a team within a marketing team, so there was quite a few functions sitting under mm. marketing in a, in a siloed manner, um, absolutely looked me dead in the eye to tell me that they were an agile marketing team, yet there was no one knew what the, the entire business goal was, there was no transparency, and they were the only team working that way. So the minute they stepped outside their own team, there was no agility. Yeah, it went straight back to linear, <laughs> yeah, up and down yeah. the chain, across the silos. Yeah, but yeah, so it, it's it's more than just a process, and it's more than just take it off the shelf, plug it in, and away we go. Who we're agile. Yeah, um, it's a long process to and implement. I, I think a lot of people are struggling with what that uh, structure should be mm. to be more agile. But uh, um, I know uh, we've both read uh, this book, Team of Teams. It's been out for a, a couple of years by General Stanley McChrystal, U.S. Army retired. It's actually quite a uh, quite an interesting book when it comes to the way you think about uh, teams. What what did you? Uh, get from the from reading it well I enjoyed that book so much I read it twice um, <laughs> <laughs> and probably a third and fourth time coming <laughs> yeah you know? um, it's a really fascinating insight into a organization shall we call it it is the military but there's still an organization an organization clinging on to working in an antiquated linear manner in a new world mm. and when you come at it and read it from that perspective the insight that General Stanley McChrystal gives on A, the reality check they all woke up to one day when they realized they were getting circles run around them by a ragtag army called the Taliban and Al-Qaeda as they, in, in his terms, um, who had no structure, uh, appeared to be multiple leaders and um, a network of communication that absolutely blew the US military out of the water. It, it's amazing to watch their mere culpa moment of we're the ones doing this wrong. 
Yeah, and look, uh, you know, I know marketing often uses, uh, you know, military metaphors like we mount a campaign yeah. and we uh, we have a target, yeah, target audience that uh, we're going to launch upon. But in actual fact, it was really quite interesting because he uses some historical examples of war and how, you know, where there was a predictability of the way war used to be fought. And now in the new complex world, it was not like that at all. People would say, you know, some people could say guerrilla warfare and mm. things like that. But that uh, what they were up against was this complexity and also battling a what often looked to them as an unstructured network mm. um, that was creating chaos almost. Yeah. And that yet all their processes, they were trying to use data to make sense of it, yet there was no, you know, they there just, was no, that, there yeah. was no sense, you know. They were working as these cells and they could form and reform and, you know, pretty much like the marketplace today. Yeah. And they were just hopelessly out antiquated and out of date. It was it, it was interesting, and particularly when he overlaid it with the past, uh, I think he went all the way back to... Uh, Nap- oh, yeah, Napoleon, Napoleon. Waterloo, yeah. Yeah, he went all the way back to Napoleon to explain his point, and it was... Um, it was very interesting is that here they were thinking the same way um, in everything in how to mount the attack make the decisions uh, you know delegate etc etc whereas this this seemingly disorganized cluster of terrorists that were all over the Middle East Mm. were reforming and forming and adapting Mm. um, and also displaying resilience in their adaptation to continue fighting just left them for dead basically Mm. um it was funny when i was reading the book that i it took me back to that cartoon that used to be on in the late 80s called the wonder twins where one of them um could form into some form of liquid or or mass product and one of them could form into an animal and whichever one they formed into was dependent on the situation they were in Mm -hmm. at that exact time and that that was the first thing that came into my mind when he was describing how these well, terrorist the ability groups, to adapt. absolutely, and f- and and take shape into whatever was needed at that particular point in time. That shape may never be needed again, mm. but it was what they formed into to be able to address the situation and win um, what they needed to um, win right at that particular point. And yeah, he was he was in charge of the task force yes. in Iraq and and Afghanistan. And yet I think it's really, what I got out of it was some really key insights about how we need to change the way we think about organisations and about the way people work together. Because, you know, he definitely, uh, you know, it's terrific on so many levels. There's a structural level, there's a process, there's even a leadership component to it, which I found really uh, quite insightful. And that is um, that... It requires, uh, what was he saying? He said, you need to go from being the chess master to the gardener as a leader, which I loved. You know, the idea that the chess master is in command and moves the pieces around the board. Now, how many war movies have you seen, you know, that scene where they're moving their their, uh, resources in battle to the gardener who is hands off but eyes on he says you know is creating the environment the ecosystem for things to flourish yeah and i thought that was really uh, from a leadership perspective really interesting because you know we do talk about leadership as the person that's you know leading the way but 
it's a it's a much more uh, empowering yes. view of what leadership it involves. It is. It is one of my favourite um, comments from an, an old manager years and years ago was um, the leader should always be the one standing behind, and I think that's sort of what he's saying in, in here about you become the gardener is that you, you may not just standing behind but you're actually the one that's just overseeing and making sure that the environment is right for everybody to grow and achieve what they need to achieve not d- dictating and barking orders from above in mm. the corner mahogany office far removed from what's actually happening on the ground or sending out missives to yes. the troops you yes. know that this is what we're going yes. to do and you know, yeah prepare men you know <laughs> i think one of the stories he said in there too was talking about the decision making processes that, that that before they changed their way of operating it could sometimes take three weeks for information to go up the chain decision to be made and come all the way back down the chain and by then the taliban had already moved country yeah um so <laughs> well and that's because that was the flow of information yes. so so the first thing was uh, he, he talked about structure he talked about moving from that uh, hierarchy because the task force was made up of you know all of the the three or four military plus yes. CIA and FBI I and, had everyone know, in there every everyone was in and and all operating at the highest levels yeah. you know but uh, he, he moved from that structure to realizing that he needed a network mm. and he put in place uh, teams that were command, you know, they had command of these teams. But he then moved to, and, and where the title of the book came from, was Team of Teams, mm. where the network was actually defining itself. Yeah, and I think that the key to that was making sure that there was representatives from each of the teams within teams, mm. so that there was a quick, direct connection, not only to the next team, but an innate understanding of what the next team was doing. Yeah. Um, and I think that that really is what um, built the strength of these teams is, is having that ability then, A, it's an interdependency, but it's, it's, it's a trust because there's somebody who understands working across yeah, all of the teams. He actually calls it uh, embedding and liaison program. Yeah. Which is really interesting because, you, know, I I, you know, our experience of working with lots of different companies, everyone's in their own little groups. You know, marketing is marketing, sales is sales, you know. Um, the idea of having people going and either liaising or embedding themselves in other teams is just fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there was a term that, and I'm terrible with remembering um, the, the minutiae of books, but there was a term he used in there um, with, with regards to that, um, and it was the team's who think they're better than, so that yeah. better than mentality of, so this team over here working in isolation in this little silo looks over at the next team and goes, well, we're better than them. But then that team's looking over at the next team and going, well, we're better, better than, than them. them. Um, and so you, you, you're always going to have this level of animosity between teams because you think you're in the best team. They think they're in the best team. And that happens in, in, in organisations. We see that when we go in and oh. we start interviewing across teams, this attitude of, well, we're better than them. And it comes from the fact that they actually don't understand what them are doing mm. um, or why them are doing what they're doing. Well, I, yeah, I did some work with a bank uh, in the region and what amazed me was the product team looked down their nose at the marketing team 
not realizing the product is actually part of marketing. Okay. But because they created this artificial construct of separating product out from marketing and turn marketing into largely marcoms, mm. they actually saw themselves as separate teams. When in actual fact, anyone that even goes by the traditional definition of marketing would realise they were both part of the same team. Absolutely, and I think that uh, I've certainly worked in environments where I've ended up saying, let's let's call my marketing director title what it actually is, shall we? And it's I'm a Marcoms director yeah. because I have no say in the product, I have no say in the price point, I have no say in the distribution. Um, but generally, you would be looked at as though, huh? Because there is a, a lack of understanding at, at a lot of executive level that marketing is more than just, as you've called it in the past, colouring in. Mm. Um, it is uh, critical to be across all of those facets. And we often see, in fact, I think working with Trinity P3, I haven't walked into one marketing team where there isn't a, a Marcoms department that's called marketing and the rest of the stuff is somewhere else in the business. Mm. Um, but it's, it's marketing. It's all marketing. If you're developing the product, who are you developing it for? Mm. How do you know what you're developing? And pricing. Exactly. Distribution. Exactly. Yeah. So it's... It, yeah. I think it's because promotion is often the most highest, high profile it is, yeah. aspect of marketing. But, you know, just the language itself is, is actually incredibly confusing. But then if you start thinking about teams, and especially teams in organisations where there's a, each team has some impact on the customer or consumer that this, what, what um, General Stanley McChrystal is actually saying is that you then have the teams working together and aligned together to common purpose mm. uh, so that they actually can adapt to deliver that customer experience. Absolutely, and I think that's where the, um, the, the mentality of agility sometimes falls down within big organisations is that sense of shared purpose hmm. because that silo over there has KPIs around X and that silo over there has KPIs around Y and they're not actually coming together to realise that their their shared purpose is customer benefit, customer value. Um, it's also P&L aligned in that you need to deliver you know, benefits and savings to the P&L. If everybody understood that, hmm. That, that threads through them this shared sense of, of purpose that he touches on in, in that book. And we see that lacking a lot and causing issue because, again, it then comes down to we're better than that team over there because we're delivering on this and we're better than that team over there because we're delivering on, on Y. But in actual fact, you're not delivering on X and Y. You're delivering on customer value and customer benefit mm. and, and driving... Yeah, it's like it's like the credit card team goes. Well, we're better because we uh, managed to push out more credit card applications, and the home loan team goes. Well, we're better because the total value of funds is bigger, and you know, I mean, all of these are just very incremental components for the overall. overall. And yet, we've seen uh, in the uh, Banking Royal Commission is that that very focus KPI has led to some really distorted behaviour and, and, you know, um, questionable behaviour because it is taken, you know, it's completely out of context. It, yeah, and it's, it's blinkered. It's blinkered work, isn't yeah. it? You, you, you've got your blinkers on. You can't see what's going on elsewhere. And you, you certainly, 
can't see the impact of what you're doing is having across across the business. And I, I, I think the best thing um, that's ever happened to me for my marketing career was starting my own business to understand what role every function of the business plays mm. across the board and therefore what role marketing plays. And, and to me, the moving forward with agile marketing and being able to be adaptable and resilient, that there needs to be that exposure across the business for everyone. The HR manager should know what the marketing people do. They should know their roles intimately as well as the marketing person needs to know what the engineer's role is and what they do and know their role intimately and they need to know the IT. That visibility needs to be um, something that's common practice now so that you can understand that um, what ramifications will be felt across the entire business and the entire customer mm. journey if I make this decision here, mm. which, yeah, to and your now, point on the banks is <laughs> what happened. <laughs> and, and we've been talking a lot about the internal structure, but imagine if you embraced this the ideas that are in that book, Team of Teams, and actually applied that to where we started from, the every stakeholder. Mm. You know, especially uh, between marketers and their agencies and external, you know, suppliers. Imagine the idea of having common shared purpose, mm. open transparency, open sharing of information, yeah. transparency and trust, all the things that have recently been questioned and compromised. Uh, what, what do you think would be the result of, if you could achieve that? Um, better work, <laughs> better relationships, better outcomes um, across the board, I think. We often see, um, working with marketing teams, this um, backlash against agencies who don't understand us, don't, they're not quick enough, not cheap enough, not this, not that. And then you go and speak to the agencies and you hear from their perspective that they're not told business objectives, they don't get told their budget until you know the 11th hour, things get changed halfway through, briefs are poorly written. They, they, they don't know the business the way they should know the business and marketers, I think, controversially I might say this, some of the marketers who are dealing with the agencies also don't know their business the way they should know their business. So you have this battle of, of half informations going along. Um, that's poor quality work is going mm. to get done from that. I mean, it's that whole saying of shit in, shit out. Um, and I think that's across the board with, with marketers and agencies. I think if marketers and agencies became true partners and not just use that term loosely once they, when, when they've been awarded the pitch, they become true partners, which means they're interdependent, there's transparency of information, there's a shared sense of purpose it would go a long way mm. <laughs> to, to helping um, those relationships and deliver better work. And one of the things is to actually, the way you actually engage with your agencies, because mm. one of the things, you know, you're saying before one team's looking at another team saying, well, we're better than them. We see that a lot mm. in rosters of agencies yes. because the marketers will often either deliberately or not play agencies yes. off against each other. You know, you're my lead agency, which makes everyone else my following agents. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Um, and we've dealt with that quite recently um, where there was a lead agency and the lead agency was being criticised for not delivering. Um, but they were the lead agency because that's how they were engaged. But 
the attitude from the lead agency was, well, we're the lead agency, so everybody should be coming to us. Yeah. Uh, nothing's going to get done. In, that's a stalemate. That, that's a stalemate. And, that, and that's, that's stemmed in this command and control hierarchy, Absolutely. linear structure, where they don't understand that actually you're a team with a shared sense of purpose, that you're all getting measured on really, um, whether it's um, you know, uh, defined or not, of delivering the best possible outcome to the customer that will then come to the brand to purchase the product or the services and deliver to the bottom line. And mm. fundamentally, when you boil it down, that's your job. Mm. Um, but it's this conflict and ego-driven environment that I think is just it has been encouraged by this whole hierarchy uh, structure of the last century. It's antiquated and it needs to go. There's no room for it anymore. In, in It's in, funny, isn't it? Because we've built these structures and we're so hesitant to let go of them. You mm. know, it's, 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 um, I had a, a conversation a couple of years ago uh, with someone and they said, well, you know, business structures come from the military. Everyone knows that. And I go, well, the military, do you know where the, the military actually got that uh, structure from? It was the Romans. The Romans were the first ones. Before the Romans, the way uh, battles were waged is you got large groups of people with weapons and they just largely charged at each other and tried to kill as many as possible without getting killed themselves. It was the Romans that realised you didn't have to be a good fighter if you had structure and discipline to form yourselves into legions that could just move through and, you know, and, yeah. and were much more efficient as a fighting machine. So something that's, you know, almost 2,000 years old is still the structure that we use today in a world that, to bring us right back to where we started this conversation, has become so complex, mm. so difficult to predict the future, even a couple of weeks ahead sometimes. Uh, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I think um, that that hierarchical structure where people cling on to their positions of power as they move up the ladder, um, which I hate that term, but it is what it I is. prefer greasy pole. Yeah, it's the cli <laughs> climbing the greasy pole. As you pole. climb the greasy pole. Um, and I think, and this isn't the case with everybody that works within these structures, but it's certainly uh, been a common experience of mine, is that you'll see decisions getting made for the benefit of the person as opposed to the benefit of the business or the customer. Um, because they're trying to get brownie points to then be able to climb further up the greasy mm. pole. That doesn't work in this new environment. It's, it's got to be fast-paced decision-making to allow for adaptability and flexibility across structure, process and strategy to be able to better position your business mm. to your customers. And ultimately, it's the results that count. Exactly. In a holistic approach, <laughs> yeah. not just in very narrow KPIs. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and again, this goes back to people understanding the role they play within the broader business. I mean, everybody should understand the impact on the bottom line of the decisions that they're mm. making. And it, they don't, mm. in my experience. Yeah, so team of teams. Team actually of teams. build a team of teams. Absolutely. Uh, We've run out of time, Zena, but uh, thank you. Thank it's you. It's been a great conversation. I've got one last question, and that is, of all the companies that we've worked with recently, are any of them doing it really well? Mm -hmm.